In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we are between yet another two great feasts. The Feast of the Ascension, and we are coming upon the great descent of the Holy Spirit upon the Twelve Apostles in Great and Holy Pentecost. And in this time, the Church puts before us the words of our Savior, what's called the High Priestly Prayer, often. from It's often called that, by, um, not by the Lord Himself, but we understand this prayer sits in a very, very important spot in our spiritual lives. Because these are the words of our Savior. The last, really audible teaching prayer that our Lord utters before he journeys to his crucifixion, the passion, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection, and the feast for which we are still in the midst of the ascension. And in this prayer, we often can get rather confused because the language seems so complicated, seems so intertwined that we kind of lose track of who's doing what and when. Often, I mean, I've read this prayer over and over again, and each time I need to come to it with new ears and a new mind, and the depths of the prayer reveal themselves anew each time. So on one level, it's a very complex prayer, but on another, uh, it's a very simple thing. If we read through it at the end, what are we left with? We can be left with a childlike understanding. And indeed, one of the fathers of our church presents this prayer um, in a very simple analogy. That father is Blessed Theophilact of Ored. And he says that we can, this very point he makes, that we can get confused with all of this, who's giving and who's receiving and who's getting what. He makes, goes through all of this. He says that in this language from our Lord and Master, there is a connection to those who could be overhearing that did not believe in his divinity. It was not just the right time for his arrest. So he veils his divinity in this language. But it is also evident for those who desired to understand and who still desire to this day to understand what the prayer is indicating. And that is that he is equal with the Father in heaven, and indeed, his very Son. Theophilact says that this prayer is like what we do as parents or as caregivers to a little infant. They have no language yet, right? They're sitting in their high chair, and you're perhaps, or you're sitting on the floor with them, and you're playing. That infant, that toddler, probably doesn't have the word for the object for which you're interacting with them for. It doesn't have the word spoon in its mind when you're feeding it. It doesn't have in its word a little stuffed animal that this is a bear that we play with and play. It doesn't have the word train. But when we point at this object or we offer it to them in simplicity and say, do you want this? Or you simply hold out something to an infant and gesture as an offer the child understands perhaps not the name of the object, but what is really going on. 
it knows that it is being offered a chance to interact with you as, your, as the parent or as the caregiver or as the teacher. It knows that you are taking care of it when you offer the food to the infant in the high chair. And so he says, Blessed Theoflax says, that when we say, do you want this? We all inherently know what the this is. And we can understand this prayer in this way. Our Lord is using somewhat complicated language, but in the heart it's a very simple but powerful thing that he is giving to us. And indeed, we need to understand it with the eyes of an infant. And I'll, I'll give a little uh, aside for how important it is to have the spiritual eyes of a child. When I was at the monastery some weeks ago, just a, a couple of last week, or two weeks, two Sundays ago, I had a conversation as I was dipping candles, helping this is the business of uh, the Holy Archangel Michael Monastery. They dip candles as their main business. And so I gave one or I don't know which monk who had the main obedience a day off and two days off and was helping them dip for hours on end from basically 9 a.m. to like 1 p.m. And we had many conversations, but one of those conversations was this, uh, what I later came, out to, came to find a very scholarly monk. He even had the British accent to boot to my American ears to make him sound even more erudite. Um, his name is Father Abraham. And I, we had many conversations, and this monk was struggling in his contemplation. What did it really mean to have faith like a child? I don't know if we came to any uh, conclusion together. I don't think that was really the point of that interaction. But the point of that interaction was to struggle that this is actually an ideal. And so today, what I want to do with this prayer is to unfold it a little bit, to have a little bit of the understanding that we need as adults and maturing Christians but at the same time not to take away that simple understanding that Blessed Theoflax aims at. That when he says, do you want this, we are able to take it and say, yes, I will follow. So what is going on in this prayer? The fruits of the prayer are evident. Blessed Theoflax says that when he says that he's talking about his glorification, when he's talking about the fruits that will be given to the disciples, he says that he does this knowingly. He opens up the prayer longing, Blessed Theoflax says, for the passion and to embrace it. It is glory and his Father's glory. Theoflax says, for indeed by the passion both were glorified. It is the benefiting of all flesh by God's gifts. It is the glory of God. Christ strives to bring everyone to faith. But if some refuse to heed the gift, to refuse to heed him, it is not his fault, our master's fault, but the fault of those who reject his teachings. So from the very beginning, we see that our Lord is journeying toward the passion with knowledge. And he's doing it to give us something. And he is actually teaching on this occasion by praying. We see through this the need for prayer in our lives. Our Lord didn't need to speak these things aloud. His communion with the Father 
is he could don't do it in silence. And indeed, many, many times he did. But our need for prayer and our need for the Lord's words are spoken for us today. And so through this prayer, we are able to see that we and how, rather how, we should pray when we address our Father in heaven. And we'll get to that point of our, the greatness of this Father in heaven that he is addressing. So our prayer from our Lord is the need for our Lord to petition the Father in heaven and to assign his disciples, his apostles, and all of the disciples to come. The, that they now belong to God the Father in heaven through himself, Jesus Christ. This is what the prayer is doing. This is what it is accomplishing. Indeed, our Lord uses the word, or at least in translation we call it, He calls something that is yet to come already accomplished, already finished, some translations say. And this accomplishment in Greek is very important to understand because the way he speaks of it, it's in a tense called the eros, which means that it's a pure and simple action. One that doesn't indicate whether it has happened already or will happen, but what's called a pure and simple action. And St. John Chrysostom calls this accomplishment that our Lord is praying and coming into fruition. He calls it the root of blessing that has already been laid. Which fruits would, these are St. John Chrysostom's words, certainly and necessarily follow. And from his being present at and assisting in those things which should take place after these. In other words, our Lord is counting as accomplished what he will do already. And in some sense, he had already accomplished the great sanctification of humanity by his incarnation, by his teaching, by his great healing. He had already lifted up and sanctified the human nature which he made his own. And so, in some sense, that was already accomplished. But he was going to seal it and prove it to all in the crucifixion, in the passion, and then redeem and put the final seal of our human nature by his resurrection and ascension. These are the accomplishments of our Lord Jesus that he is giving over through the petitions that he is giving to his Father in heaven and that the disciples are overhearing. Theoflat continues, and he says that at that point, at the point where this prayer is being said, the nature of flesh had not yet been glorified, though. It had not been made worthy of incorruption and of sharing the royal throne. This is why the Lord declares, glorify thou me, meaning, receive my dishonored and crucified human nature and raise it up to the glory which I, the Son and Word of God, had with thee before the world was. Theoflat continues and he says, After his ascension, Christ in our human nature was seated on the royal throne, and now he is worshipped by all creation. Then Jesus explains his words further on in the prayer. I have glorified thee on earth as meaning 
I have manifested thy name. How is it that the Son was first has first manifested God's name? This is what Theophilact is wondering. He says, when Isaiah said, they shall swear by the true God, as we have often pointed out, God's name was already revealed, but only to the Jews and not to the whole world. And now, in this prayer, Christ begins to announce that God's name will be also revealed to the Gentiles. Since he has destroyed the devil, the teacher of idolatry, and planted the seeds of divine knowledge. If at that point the pagans already had some knowledge of God, it was only as the creator demigurge, not as their father. The son revealed that the creator was the father. Moreover, by his own words and deeds, Christ revealed not only his father, but himself. And by this, St. Theophilact means that he revealed himself as the son of God. So in this prayer, our Lord is doing, he's handing over all that he has won, all that he has accomplished, and in time will accomplish to the apostles. And he does this by revealing that we are not just worshiping a God out there, but a God who is our Father. And that Jesus Christ is revealing through this prayer that Father to us. And indeed, he ends the prayer as with one of probably the final accomplishments or the final fruit by summing it all up with this phrase in various times, that they, meaning his followers, Jesus Christ's followers, be kept in thy name, in the name of the Father. In this, we have an experiential knowledge of God, not just a God and what he did, but a God who has a relationship with us that we participate and cooperate with. It is knowing God by a relationship, an interaction with him, and even an exchange and a sharing. For this is what Jesus Christ did with his disciples in his earthly ministry, in his incarnation. He sat, he shared, he had a relationship with them. He sat at table, he conversed with them. And even in the level of the Spirit, he gave all that he is as God and poured it into the human nature and into his apostles. So much so that even us creatures, us human beings, even when we are fallen and in our sins, that we can call his Father, the God in heaven on the throne, our Father. And in a moment in the Divine Liturgy, I want you to notice the exclamation that is said. With fear and trembling do we cry out and begin to say and call the God in heaven our Father. And then we go on to say the Lord's Prayer. This is what Christ is pointing at as the fundamental thing that he is giving over to us. He accomplished all those other things. But when we are the Father's children, God the Father's children, we have everything given to us that Jesus Christ is. The result is this. They, meaning all of us disciples, these are our Lord's words, may be one even as we are one. Meaning the Father and the Son in the Godhead and their fundamental unity 
is handed over to us mere human beings when we follow Jesus Christ. The unity of human persons within Jesus Christ is made like the unity of the Holy Trinity when we keep our kept in the Father's name. So however we as human beings may mess things up, when we hold and keep and begin to struggle to follow Christ, we have a Father in heaven, an immortal one, disseminating his grace all into us, giving his divine life to us here in the body of the church that is his Son. We are covered in that grace in this temple today. We are covered in the grace of those sacraments that communicate Jesus Christ to us and the life of the Holy Trinity is given. So my brothers and sisters, we stand at the doorway of the greatest mystery any human being can behold. Through this prayer of the God-man, our Master and Savior, it is here by prayer that humanity begins to enter into unity with the divine life. No longer are we separated from our Creator, but we become one with the Father and can know Him as such by the works and accomplishments of His divine Son, that reveal to us the promptings and are revealed to us in the promptings of the Holy Spirit. How radical is this prayer for our lives? How important is it? It is of supreme importance. Without it, we would not know the great mystery offered for our salvation. Our salvation is in perfect unity, in perfect unity with the Trinity. And that's extended to us as human creatures. By the birth, the life, the teaching, the passion, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of the God who became man for our salvation into heaven. All of the church, all Christian discipleship, all that is of everlasting value rests on this and on nothing else. That our Lord handed the divine life to us and then took human nature up into heaven and that we are to follow him in those very footsteps ascending through the clouds and into the heaven to be with our Father in heaven. So let us learn from the Master, the God-man Jesus Christ, who accomplishes all things for our sakes, to pray first, giving glory to God, and then to make our petition. Because even when our Lord was handing this, this is the order that he followed. And to work and to rest in the knowledge that we are kept in the name of the Almighty God, our Father in heaven, as we call on his name. Amen.